This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Now we've been in a sermon series and we've been looking at the seven churches of uh, uh, Asia Minor, the seven churches of Revelation. And these seven churches, these churches are churches that are a message for us today. We started looking at them uh, uh, several weeks ago. And just for a moment, let's do a little review. We have the church of Ephesus. Now in the church of Ephesus, we said that it was an apostolic church. It was a church that had apostolic qualities. And we began to look at those qualities. We said that the church uh, uh, excelled in their service, their ministry. They were steadfast. Uh, That meant that that they held strong. They stood against evil. They had sound doctrine. And uh, they were a church that the Lord commended. The problem was that they had lost their first love. They had lost their love, their passion for God. And what they were doing, they were doing just out of ritual and form and routine. And the Lord had a message for them. Then we moved on to Smyrna and we were looking at Smyrna. Now, Smyrna was the suffering church, the suffering church that that they were under such persecution. And because of the persecution, Jesus said, I see your pain. I know what you're walking through. And we looked at how do you survive life's darkest hours? How do you go through these dark times? Then we moved on last week to the church of Pergama, Pergamus, another way of saying it. And this was the church that was living in the enemy's territory. It was a church that was living in the enemy's territory. And we began to look at how do you, and I believe that that's us today, that is what we're experiencing is we're believers and we're surrounded by evil and wickedness all around. How do we live in the enemy's territory? And we said that when you're living in the enemy's territory, you have to be aware. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be aware of what you embrace, that which you are uh, holding on to and embracing. You got to be aware of that. And we began to unpack uh, a couple, uh, you know, a couple names that we're giving uh, in, uh, in that passage. And that was Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And we began to understand that the church there in Pergamos was accepting, they were receiving, they were embracing these teachings and doctrines and, and these things from uh, uh, those that were holding on to, to the teachings of Balaam and, and, uh, and, and the Nicolaitans. And, and God says that when you overcome and you survive, there is hidden manna that's going to be released to the one that overcomes. Manna from heaven, hidden manna is going to be released for you. And there was so much in that. I didn't even have time to unpack that hidden manna, not just manna that's fallen from the sky and it's just everywhere. But when you overcome, there's a hidden manna that God releases to you. That moves us on today to the church of Thyatira. Some uh, here will see that this is a very, very powerful message. In fact, I want to, in a moment, let me, let's do it right now. Let's go ahead and look at the map and kind of just show you where we're at. Now, this is the smallest church. It was maybe the least known church, and yet it has the longest letter. If you will, look at the map here. Look at the map, 
And uh, you'll see that we go from Ephesus to Smyrna up to Pergamos. And then we're heading on over to Thyatira, Thyatira. And uh, as we move over to Thyatira, we see and we have to understand that in Thyatira, we have to see that the importance of it comes from Pergamos. It comes from uh, that which is happening in Pergamos if we're going to fully understand the message of Thyatira. Because in Pergamos, if you remember last week, we talked about how it was the seat of the proconsul. It was the place where the proconsul, uh, who would have been the ruler over all of Asia, it's where he had his seat of government. So so in a sense, it was the Washington of the day. It was the, the place where decisions were made. Now, that was in Pergamum. And because of that, there was a lot of politicians that was there. It was a very a wealthy, magnificent city. It was a very powerful city. Now, that was Pergamum. Let's look at the map again. If you can bring up the map for me one more time. In our map, we can see there's Pergamum. Now, about 25 miles to the east is the city of um, uh, Thyatira. And here we see that this city was actually built to be a blockade for those that would be invading from the east. Invaders that would come on their way to Pergama, they were going there because it's a magnificent city. It's a wealthy city. So Thyatira was set up to be a military post. It was a guard against those that would be invading from the east to come in and begin to ravage uh, Pergamum. If you were to come into Thyatira, you, you would see is you would see a city that would be surrounded by thousands of thousands of military tents that would be encircling the city there with thousands of armed soldiers coming and going here and there. But it was also known, secondly, for its manufacturing of clothing. Now, you may remember a story in the book of Acts. Maybe you can be the first one that types it in. There was a convert that gets saved in Acts chapter 16. It's a woman who gets saved in the ministry there, and she is from Thyatira. In fact, she was a seller of purple dye, so she was a business woman, and it's believed that she was actually the first convert of all of Asia, and we believe, uh, uh, historians believe, that she started the church in her home because there was no major evangelistic campaign mentioned in scripture to the city, and so uh, it's believed that she would have started the, the church in her home. Well, she comes from Thyatira. This is the city that we're talking about uh, today. So I want you to take your Bibles, click in your devices. If you have our app, download the outline, take some notes and follow along uh, with me because I believe that there's a message for us today. We're going to begin reading in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, in Roman, <laughs> Acts, Romans on over to Revelation. I don't know where my mind is. Acts, Romans on to Revelation. Revelation chapter two is where we're going to be. Father, thank you for your word. I know that your word is anointed. And today, as we open the anointed word of God, I pray for revelation right now. I pray for illumination. I pray for inspiration. I pray, God, that our minds will be alert, our spirits will be receptive, that today, God, we will receive the word of the Lord, the rhema from heaven. I pray right now, Father, into every home, I pray for those that are walking right now, listening. Father, for those that are driving, I pray that you will remove the distractions and that they will receive the message of the Lord today. 
I believe, Father, that there's power in the word. And today, this anointed word, I believe, will touch every single heart. Use it, I pray, in your name. Amen and amen. What I see in the church, the church of Thyatira is a church, and I've titled it, it's a worldly church, but it's a worldly church because they allowed some things to come into the church. Let's begin reading here in verse 18. In verse 18 of Revelation 2, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, Thyatira, the different ways that we can say it, write, these are the words of the Son of God. Now, Jesus reveals himself here as the Son of God, and he reveals it because he's showing his deity. There's something that's going to need to be dealt with as we go deeper into the scripture, and he's revealing the deity of who he is. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. You see, he, in his omniscience, he understands, he sees, he pierces through, he looks into with a penetrating look into every heart, every life, and he knows with eyes like a blazing fire and whose feet are like brownished bronze. I mean, it shows the ability in a moment that's important because Jesus himself will be the one that will be able to step on and crush the worldliness that has been allowed into this church. False teaching of compromise that has come in. In the name of Jesus, he will be able, and in the power, and in that, uh, in that uh, analogy he gives to us, he will be able to squash it. Look in verse 19, the first part, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance. You see, when I look at this church, the first thing I see in fact, it's very similar to the church of Ephesus, is I see a church that is characterized by great qualities. It's characterized by some things that gets and, and captures the attention of Christ. Now, when I thought about that in preparing and praying and seeking, uh, the, the message that the Lord would have me to share today, what caught my mind is how they, in these characteristics, caught the Lord's attention. Now think about that for a moment. What is it you're doing that I'm doing in our life as we're going about our day? What you're doing here and there at work, at home, as you go about your, your affairs every day. What is it that you're doing that catches the Lord's attention? What is it that we are doing as a church? What is it in, in, the, in the work of our ministry that we all are a part of? This is our church. We are a part of this. This is our family, the body of Christ at Christian Life Center. What has caught the Lord's attention? That really caught my heart. And here it's characterized and he uh, mentions, the Lord Jesus mentioned several things that caught his attention. First of all, he says, I know your works. Another way of saying that is I know your deeds. What characterized this church was their deeds. And he says, I know it. In fact, this word has a, an almost an intimacy to it. it is, I know it. I've observed it personally. I know your deeds. I know your, your actions. I know your activities. I know what you're doing. I mean, the work of ministry, I see it. I know it. I know what you've been doing. I know how you've been laboring. I know how you've been giving yourself to building my kingdom, to advancing my work. I see it, I observe it, and I know it. You know, I've been in ministry a long time now, 
I've been around a lot of leaders and a lot of pastors and a lot of uh, church members that are serving the Lord. And one of the things that I can say that catches the Lord's attention, one of the things that God sees, and I'm telling you, he sees it now, even though we might be isolated and separated for a short season through COVID, I can tell you what God sees is he sees your heart to build his kingdom. That, that he's put into your heart, that vision, that desire, that passion, that, that I want to be involved and I want to do this and I want to do that, that comes from God. You didn't just wake up one day and have that emotion. No, God gave that to you because he knows that you have something within you that he wants to use to expand his kingdom, to build his kingdom, and it's all for the glory of God. And, and he says, I see it, and I just want to commend you. I want to thank you. For those of you that have been serving, serving the Lord for so many years, some of you, you've been serving the Lord 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more. I just want to say thank you because in your serving, you're advancing the kingdom of God. And I can tell you as the pastor of Christian Life Center, we can't do what God has called us to do without individuals like you that have embraced the call and said, God, I want to make a difference for your kingdom. I want to be a part of a group that's going to make a difference for your kingdom. We may not be perfect, but God, we're striving to do what you've called us to be, to be the light, to be the, be the representation, the, the messengers of hope so that all can come to know you. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your giving. If you're sitting with somebody, just fist pump them, you know, give a, a high five, someone next to you, or just chat, you know, in the chat box, say amen or something. He says, I see your deeds. He goes on to say that, that uh, not only does he see their deeds, but he says, I also see your love. Now in the original, there's actually an article in front of love. And so it says, I see the love. And it's really describing a love that gives. A love that gives even when there's no response in return, when one's not thanked in return or acknowledged. Now, you and I, in our human emotions, right, when we give love, we're, in a way, expecting love to be given back. And Jesus says, I see your love. In fact, it's agape, it's an agape sacrificial love that's given without the expectation of getting anything in return. He says, I see your love, that, that love that moves you. It's a sacrificial love that moves you to action. Now that really caught me. And I said, God, this week in, in, in prayer, I just said, God, where am I being sacrificial in my love? Where am I being sacrificial that I move and I move to action without any expectation of something in return? And it's to give without being thanked, to give without being acknowledged. God, where am I serving like that and showing love like that? And I just pray that we will be a church. I pray that we'll be a church that will be sacrificial, that will go out of our way to show love without the expectation of getting anything in return. That caught his attention. It's characterized by their deeds, by their love, by their faith. Now again, there's an article in front of faith. It's the faith. It wasn't just a faith for miracles or, or a faith for signs and wonders or faith for healing. No, it's the faith. And when you study it, it's, it's faith in, 
a set of beliefs. It's, it's faith in a specific, if it would be faith or creed that was there. And it's referring to the body of Christ and, and believing in the faith that's presented and is comprised in the New Testament of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see your faith. Now that's an important statement in a church today. Because boy, as I work with pastors and churches and so many for, for, for a number of years, one of the things that we see weakening more and more in the body of Christ is their faith. Not just faith for miracles. We can come in and pray, God, let your power come down and your anointing as Pentecostals. I mean, we get excited about that. But I'm talking about a faith where the roots of your faith go deep. They are deep. They are strong. No matter what storm will come, you will stand strong through the storm and through the winds that will come. That's the kind of faith he said he sees. He says, I see your faith. I see the faith. They were characterized by faith. They were characterized by their service, their ministry, same word, service and ministry. And uh, what was interesting as I was studying this is the, that it's actually linked with this idea of one that is serving. I don't want to use the word waiter because I think it kind of downplays the, the importance of the metaphor that's being presented, but it's one that's serving and, 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 and they're attending to the needs of others, but they're serving in a way that's honorable and pleasurable and it's done in such a way that those that they are serving, they feel as though they're nobility, that they're royalty and the one serving does it with such a joy and a gratitude in what they're doing. Doing. Now, man, the beautiful analogy of that is we're serving the Lord. We're serving the King of Kings and we're serving others. So God, as I serve others, is it a task? Is it just a duty? Is it just a ritual? Or is there something in me? And, and I think it's the call of God. There's something in me. There's, 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 there's something that's deep down that I know that I'm doing it unto you, but I'm serving those as though they're noble. They're, they're royalty, as though I was serving you yourself. Man, that's the Matthew 25 kind of serving. And he says, I know your service and I know your ministry. And then they were characterized by their perseverance. Their perseverance was their patience. Now we looked at this back when uh, we looked at the church of uh, Ephesus and we saw that this is the same word, that there is a, a perseverance, there is a patience that says, I'm gonna hold on. I'm not going to let go. No matter what comes, I'm, 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 I'm not wavering. I'm not giving in in spite of all the challenges that may come my way. I'm standing. I'm abiding. I'm not moving. I'm staying in my spot, in my position. The territory I have gained, I am not going to lose. Now, man, in a time like this in COVID, that is my prayer. Is God, that which we've gained for so many years, let us not lose that ground. Let us not lose our spiritual authority. Let us not lose the call that you've got on our lives. God, we're going to persevere. Can you just say amen with me right now? Why am I saying that? Is I need an agreement in the spirit that says, God, we're persevering. No matter what weight comes, we're enduring under the pressure and under the weight. I will not buckle and I will not crumble because I'm going to be sustained by the power of the Lord. Can, hallelujah, man, I just feel it in my spirit today. 
Oh, Lord, I just pray that that is what will characterize us. So they were characterized by their, their deeds, their love, their faith, their service, their ministry, their perseverance, their patience. We see that these are the things that caught their attention. In fact, when I look at this uh, in the first few verses here, it says that it was to the angel of the church. Now, I'm not touched on that. But in each church, it's said to that, uh, it's that phrase is said to that church, to the angel of the church. Now, the word church there is a very special word that actually was adopted. It was adopted by believers, and it was a word that's used all through the New Testament to symbolically represent uh, to, that, that there is this gathering, there is a coming together there are these that have been called out. They've been selected, if it would be. They're coming together and they're assembling as representatives of the Lord. They are the called out ones. We are the church. We are called out and therefore we're forming the body of Christ. A very, very powerful analogy that we can hold on to because God has linked us together. Right now we're separated, we're isolated but we're linked together as the body of Christ. We are linked. If Christian Life Center is your church, if, if this is the body that you are linked to, you may be in Ohio right now. There's people watching us in Ohio. You might be in Austria watching me right now, down in the Caymans, over in Jamaica, in Haiti, all over South Florida. No matter where you are, if you're identifying with Christian Life Center and the ministry, there is something that's happening that you are a part of this body, the assembly, the ones that are called out. And it's a powerful, powerful, Powerful analogy. It's Christ's church. And as Christ's church, we have power, we have authority, we have an anointing to do what God has called us to do. So this is a church that caught his attention, caught Christ's attention. The second thing I see here is that this, and I love this, those of you that know me, you know I'm going to love this next point, is this was a growing church. This was a vibrant church. It was a dynamic church. It was a church that was alive. It was a church that was expanding and you could see the life and the activity that was there. Look here in the second part of verse 19, it says, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. You're growing more, you're expanding, you're dynamic in all that you're doing. You're growing more than you did at first. Now, I identify with it because when we looked at the church of Ephesus, we saw these apostolic qualities. And I believe as a Pentecostal church, God is calling us that there is a Pentecostal mandate on us. You may want to type that in just to let that resonate in your spirit that there is a Pentecostal priority and a Pentecostal mandate on us to be an apostolic church. What is an apostolic church? It's a church that has an evangelistic spirit. It's a church that's pressing into new territory. I'm not just talking about, you know, different cities or different countries. It may be ministries or areas in our own city, but we're advancing the kingdom of God. It's a church that touches the heartbeat of God. That man, Pastor Kevin shared earlier with you on a worship night, that you come together and nothing will keep you from joining together with others to enter into the presence of God. Even if you're not in the building, you're gonna log in. Why? It's because there's a heartbeat. You're focused on the heartbeat of God and to be in the presence of God. What I love about Encounter 
Man, I just love soaking and worshiping and praying and, and allowing the spirit of God just to begin to flush through my spirit. And boy, every now and then, quite often, I have to admit, I just need that. I just need the spirit of God just to flush through my spirit and just to pick up if it would be a, a greater aroma of the presence of God and the, and the anointing of God in my own life. That's an evangelistic church. That's a, an apostolic church. That's a, a church that's vibrant and growing and moving into the mission of God. It's a church that is serving in ministry. It's a church that's sacrificial in love. It's a church that's caring for one another and, and strives to meet the needs. Jesus says, the world, those that are not in the faith, those that are not Christ followers, they will know that you are my follower by your love that you have for one another. You see, those are the characteristics that catches the heart of God. And here we see in the church that they were growing, they were expanding, they saw God doing more in and through their midst. I gotta tell you, I love the CLC vision. I love it. It's, if you don't know it, it's basically four simple statements. We're going to experience God. That we're going to, we're going to come into his presence together. The, the family of God, the church, the body. Many of you have said to me, pastor, that's what caught my attention the most when I came to CLC is I could feel the presence of God, the, the glory of God, the, the manifest presence of God that came down. It could have been through a powerful worship time. It could have been through powerful prayer times. It could have been through the preaching of the word, but man, you felt, I mean, it was, it was like you sensed the, the presence of the Lord. Well, that's one of our missions. One of the reasons that we're here is to help you experience God. You see, our job description as a pastor, as staff, as leaders in this church is that all of us will experience God. And when I can help you by creating the environments, I can't force it on you, I can't make you experience God, but if we can create an environment where you can experience God and God can powerfully move into your life, then I've accomplished what the Lord has asked me to do. Another thing that we believe is so important is that we've got to be connected together. See, I can tell you, a church that experiences God and a church that is connected together. Now, connected together is more than we just come together and read a few Bible verses and, you know, and give these, you know, typical answers that we give. And maybe we say a prayer and we move on. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a sacrificial love. I'm talking about a sacrificial love that pushes you to serve others, to love others with no thought of what you're going to get in return, with no desire. I mean, I get people all the time that say, I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving. Well, not all the time. Praise God, not all the time. But I've had people say, let me just make that little clarification. I'm leaving the church. Why are you leaving the church? Nobody calls me. Nobody reaches out to me. I'm not, in fact, I recently was talking to somebody and I said, are you connected to anybody in the church? Not connected to nobody. Are you in a life group? Nope, haven't had a chance to do that yet. Are you in a ministry group where you're serving? Nope, just haven't had time to do that. Nobody calls me. Nobody, you know, cares about me and I just don't feel connected. Now, my heart breaks I don't want you to hear sarcasm. I want you to hear my heart breaks when that happens. And one of the purposes of our church, and it's all of our responsibility, not just my responsibility, all of our responsibility to love one another. So my question is, 
Who's in your phone that you texted this week that's in the church? Who did the Lord bring to your mind that you sent them a text message? You, you, you sent them a word of encouragement. I'm praying for you. How's it going? Hey, can we get together? What's going on? I mean, who is it that's in your life that's journeying with you? Because I'm telling you, if you don't have it in your life, your journey's gonna be harder. I'm telling you, the enemy's going to be looking at you like a sniper trying to take you out. But when you have others, they're gonna hold you up. When you start to stumble and fall, they can lift you, you can lift them. If we start to veer, we can help to try to correct one another. That is an apostolic church. It's not an isolated church. It's not a, a church that's hidden and, and hiding. It's, it's not a Gideon in a cave. No, it's when Gideon came out of the cave that God used him in a mighty way. And that's what God wants for you and I is that we journey in these last days together. So we believe that it's so important to be connected together. A third thing is that we're growing and serving. Really two thoughts in one statement. Growing Growing in my faith, growing in the character of Christ. One of the hardest parts of my spiritual growth is not learning memory verses. We joke, Pastor Stephen, that he couldn't quote the verse tonight, right? But that doesn't show my spiritual maturity of how many verses I can spill off my lips. No, it's how deep into the character of Christ am I becoming. Does Christ's character line up with my character. Now, where do you start? Well, you start with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I probably forgot one. But that is the character of Christ. I should be growing that in my life. And then there's so many more. There's about 40 or, or, or more different biblical character qualities. And what God wants for you and me is that we're growing into the likeness of his Son. Now that's spiritual maturity. And by the way, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with your age. It has nothing to do with your degrees. It has nothing to do with the classes that you finished, biblical classes, seminaries. I mean, I've met some, some pretty educated people that were spiritually immature. They didn't have depth in their spiritual life and their character did not line up with Christ. What I'm talking about today is a hunger that says, God, I want my life to be a reflection of your son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, that you are a miniature Christ-like replica. You're not replicating Pastor Tom or Pastor Stephen or, or Pastor uh, Fab or Pastor Kevin. No, you follow us as we follow Christ, but ultimately we're all striving to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. You're growing into the image of Christ and you're serving. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly. You serve God by serving one another. You've been given spiritual gifts. It's your anointing. It's the portion, the talents that God has given to you. And the only way that the anointing flows from you is when you serve in ministry. When you serve others, and it's different than your mission to the world. It's your ministry to the body of Christ. You help me grow. I help you. We help each other to all become perfected. We grow up, we mature in the faith. And then fourthly, our fourth vision is to make an impact in our world, to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And how do we do that? It's by making disciples. 
sharing our faith, connecting others, training and equipping them so that they too can begin to make disciples. Well, this church, the church of Thyatira was a growing church. They had caught the attention of Christ. They were vibrant. They were alive. They were dynamic. And I'm telling you, these are good qualities. Let's not, let's not speed past these. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm taking time not to get just to the corrections, but to point out to you and I that this brings glory to the Lord. This is what brings true satisfaction, eternal significance. That is a growing church. But there is a potentially fatal flaw. We read about this fatal flaw in verse 20. So look with me in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, circle it. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. What was the fatal, the fatal flaw is they were allowing sin to come into the church. They were permitting it. They were tolerating it. And when you permit sin, when you tolerate it, it's like cancer that is spreading throughout the body. Or it's like a woodpecker that just keeps pecking on you. You know, I saw the other day in my backyard, a woodpecker, he was just going at the tree and he's just going at it. He's just going at it. Well, that's kind of what happens. When you tolerate sin, you've opened the door to the enemy and to the oppression of the enemy and they tolerated it. What was the potential fatal flaw was they tolerated sin. Now to understand it, we've got to understand who is this Jezebel and what did she do that was so, awesome, uh, so, so uh, awful? I almost said awesome, but what was so awful was rewind to the Old Testament. We have Jezebel and she was actually a foreigner and, and she married King Ahab and it was a, an arranged marriage to bring uh, unity among uh, two nations, the nation of Israel and the Phoenician, the, the Phoenicia uh, nation. As they were coming together, they were joining, uh, trying to unify the two people. Well, the, 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 the nation that she was coming from was deep into occult worship and occult practices and pagan uh, worship and pagan practices. And she brought that with her when she came to Israel. Now she was probably the, 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 the most evil woman in all of scripture. She was an idolatress. She was cunning and manipulative and, and, and prideful and disrespectful. I mean, she challenges Elijah. She claims that her voice spiritually was as equal to his voice as a prophet. Now, even though she was the queen of Israel at this time, what she did was she mixed in biblical worship with pagan worship. And there was a blending of that. And she would set aside God's clear-cut laws, what God said, this is what I want you to do. And she would begin to bring in all of these pagan practices openly and boldly sinning and, uh, and, and bringing a disgrace to the nation of Israel. And it's really, when you study her, and I don't want to go too deep there, but the issue was a spirit of manipulation. Manipulation from the outside. The character quality that we would see in her is one that would try to control and one that would try to manipulate. Well, that's Jezebel of the Old Testament. When you look at the church of Thyatira, it's not that 
There is a woman by the name of Jezebel in the church, but it's a linking to Jezebel of the Old Testament. I mean, who? I mean, after Jezebel of the Old Testament, who would name their daughter Jezebel? I mean, give me a, give me a break. You, you know, that wouldn't happen. And, and, and it's a linking that there is someone like Jezebel, someone that's manipulating, controlling, someone who is bringing in false doctrine. And he specifically says that's leading, leading my servants to sexual immorality and eating food that's sacrificed to idols. There's a very influential woman, a very influential woman in the church that the angel of the church, the pastor of the church has allowed to have a very prominent position. The problem is not that she's teaching. The problem is what she's teaching. It's the air of her teaching and the abuse of her power manipulating the pastor himself. Now the question is, how can this be and, and how can this happen? Well, many theologians speculate that this is possibly the pastor's wife and he could not, if it would be, uh, he, he gave her the, the, the freedom to teach as she would. But I need to take you back to Smyrna. Remember a few weeks ago, I explained to you trade guides. Trade guides. If you remember, Thyatira was a manufacturing city. They would have had trade guides. And if you remember, as a part of being in a trade guide, you would participate when they would have, sort of like a labor union, when you would have your meetings, they would participate in all kinds of pagan worship. They would uh, participate in drunkenness and uh, immorality and, and, and sexual uh, prostitution and so many different things that they would participate in. And if as a believer, you refuse because you've been delivered from that, you've been set free from that, if you refuse to do that, then your membership would get canceled and it would be very difficult for you to get a job. So... This influential woman, that woman, it says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, you tolerate this woman to begin to teach that it's okay. It's okay to participate in that. You got to work. You need a job. If you don't, you're going to lose your job. And these are very difficult times. So go ahead and compromise. Go ahead and lower your integrity. Go ahead and, and participate because if you don't, life's going to be very, very difficult for you. And, and therefore, if you understand what was happening, this was allowed into the church. Now, the problem is it was a compromise. It was worldliness that was coming into the church. And the problem with worldliness is it's something that is, that is not easy to identify and it destroys the church. Worldliness is so elusive, it, it conceals itself. In fact, <laughs> worldliness disguises itself in good intentions. It's really something of the heart. Worldliness makes so many different excuses and these excuses find ourselves walking down a path that we begin to allow it in. Man, think about right now, in what ways do we compromise so quickly today 
And we make excuses, we rationalize it, we tolerate it. We all of a sudden find ourselves as we looked last week. You see what was happening in Pergamum? If, if, if we want to look at that, it has now excelled and it's increased so much more in Thyatira that now it's not just a, a compromise of, of, of a few things, but they've allowed it into the church that now it's stirring people off. And people are taking, if it would be, paths down these roads. And Jesus says, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Because he knows what it leads to. And what it leads to is, man, we lose the power of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life. And therefore, we've got to be on guard of our own heart. We've got to be on guard. Where are we compromising? It's a question. It's a question I wrestled with this week myself and my own, my own private times of prayer. And I challenge you to wrestle with it this week. Don't just let it go fi, uh, quickly by your thought. Every one of you, no matter how long you've walked with God, remember what caught their attention. You see, this is a church that was honoring God. They were vibrant. They were alive. They were growing. There was so much that was happening. And yet, they allowed this worldliness to come in, this compromise. And my question to you and for me and for us as a church, because I believe that these messages are messages that God has for us, is where are you compromising? Is it in your faith? Is it in your commitment? Is it in your worship? Is it in your integrity? Where are you compromising? Well, to wrap this up, I've got to take us to the last few verses, and that's verse 21. Verse 21 gives us the warning. The warning is the same as we've been seeing in all of the different churches, and that is to repent. The warning is repent. I have given her, Jezebel, the one, that woman, Jezebel, time to repent. Now that's interesting. He gave her time. He gave her time to repent of her immorality. But look here. She was unwilling she was unwilling to repent. And my question today is how many of us, the Lord has been speaking, the Lord has been saying, I want you to take this out of your life. I want you to repent of it. I don't want that habit in your life. I don't want that addiction in your life anymore. I want you to break it like a chain that's broken. I want it broken in your life. And we're unwilling to repent. We're unwilling to turn from it. We're unwilling to go back to the Lord. He says, I gave her time, time to repent of her immorality, but she was unwilling. So I will cast her out onto a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless, so there's hope, unless they repent of their ways. It's too late already for her. The time has passed. She's been unwilling. But he says it's not too late for them. Unless they repent, they're going to suffer intensely. I will strike her children dead. Then all the children will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. See, the scripture is very clear. We have to repent. I've given time. I've given you a season. I've called you. I've given you the opportunity to repent. You see, the Spirit gave this message. The Spirit is the one that had John write it. And the Spirit was saying again to the church, He's saying to you and I, 
repent. Where have you been compromising? Be honest. And when God begins to reveal it, repent. Where are those things in your life? Habits, addictions, sins, secret sins that nobody else knows about. I'm telling you, God's eyes are like a blazing fire. It's penetrating in his omniscience. He knows and he's speaking to you and me. And he's saying, repent. Now I know that this isn't an easy message. It's not easy to hear that. But it's what saves us. It's what cleanses us. It's what gives us freedom. It's the power that breaks the power of sin over our life is when we confess the sin. When we confess it, he's righteous, he's just, he'll forgive us. When we change our mind and we turn from it and we turn to God, we hear the voice of the Lord. When we do it, he says he'll forgive us. Look at these verses I have in your outline. Look on the screen if you don't have your Bible or an outline. Acts 3.19, repent and turn to God. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. The promise of God is when we repent, God will remove it. When we turn, when we turn back to him, I will remove it. The times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Isaiah 55.7, let the wicked forsake their way and evil men their thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. God will have mercy and to our God for he will freely pardon. God is wanting to forgive you. He's wanting to come and to remove it. Look at this next verse I have in Galatians chapter six and verse uh, seven and eight. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. You see, if we tolerate worldliness, if we tolerate sin in our life, Jesus is very, very clear. He's going to come as a judge. He's going to come and he's going to judge those who are compromising, that have allowed worldliness to come in, that are making excuses. He will judge. And so it leads us to a place of repentance. That was the call. That was the warning. That was the thing that Jesus was saying will happen if we don't repent. My question to you today is have you been unwilling? Have you been unwilling to repent of those attitudes. You know what trips up longtime believers the most? Is your attitude. It's our attitudes. It's our criticism. It's our grumbling. It's our, it's our gossip. You see, those are the things that trip us up. Oh no, we may not be caught up in some of these other things and I could start listing them. Those are not the things that usually trip up long time, long term, however I can say it, followers of Christ. It's wrong attitudes. It's beliefs. It's, it's, it's allowing things to set itself up against the knowledge of God, the belief of God. And the thing is, it's my choice. It's my choice on what I'm going to believe. And it's my choice. Am I going to repent in turn? Jezebel missed her her season, her time, the, the moment was gone. God was graciously giving her an opportunity to repent. 
to correct her ways, but she didn't take it. And God's giving you and me that same opportunity to repent, to turn. Now, I gotta just be honest. There's no apology today to preach a message like this because I believe we're closer than ever to the coming of the Lord. And today I don't want anything to trip any of us, to hinder any of us, to cause a stumbling block before any of us. I want us to have an intimacy with him. The last and final thing before we finish this service is the promise. The promise of an eternal reward. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, I say to you who do not hold on to her teaching. They're not following her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. So obviously she was presenting it in a way that was a deep secret. No, you haven't learned that. I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on, circle it, to what you've already, what you've already attained, what, what you already have until I come. To him who overcomes, to him who overcomes and does my will to the very end, I will give authority over the nations. One day, we're going to rule and reign with him. One day, he's coming to get us and we will be with him for all of eternity. That's what it's referencing. He will rule with them with an iron scepter and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I also give him the morning star. See, it's the promise that if we overcome, we're, we're going to rule and reign with him, but also we're going to receive the morning star, which is Christ himself, the hope of glory. You'll get the morning star. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.